Now, one time there was an old farmer and a young farmer in the field, and they saw a bush fire coming towards them. So quickly they turned and began running for their lives. But it soon became clear they could not outrun the fire. So the old farmer put some crops in a circle and he set the crops on fire. Then he said to the younger farmer, come, quickly, stand with me on the ashes. And the bush fire caught up with them, and to the amazement of the young farmer, the fire burned around them, but the fire did not burn them. Because fire cannot burn ash, fire cannot burn what has already been burned. All of us, every single one of us, have sinned. And whether or not we are conscious of it, there is a price of sin that is catching up with us. On the day that we die, sin will finally catch up with us and demand that we pay the full price of sin. The only way a man can escape the price of sin is to stand on the blood of Jesus. Because sin cannot claim what has already been paid for. This morning, I want to talk to you about the anointing and the blood. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 14, and we're reading from verse 10 to 20. This is a passage about the rituals for cleansing a man with leprosy. On the eighth day, they must bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb a year old, each without defect, along with three tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one lock of oil. Some of you are losing attention already. Hang in there with me, guys. The priest who pronounces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and their offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering along with the log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. The priest should then take some of the log of oil, pour it onto a palm of his own left hand, dip his right forefinger into the oil in his palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm, listen to this, on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil in his palm, the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanliness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them and they will be clean. Lord, this morning, I pray that you will bring to life your words, that your words will not fall to the ground, but it will impart in us an awareness and a consciousness of the blood of Jesus that we have never had before, and you will set many free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In this passage, we see this very precious picture of the blood being applied onto the yellow, the right big thumb, and the big toe. And then we see that the anointing oil is applied over the same areas directly over the blood. Oil always represents the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and here we must understand that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will minister directly over the blood of Jesus. Theoretically, the Holy Spirit can do anything, 
You know, from the passage of the Valley of Dry Bones, we know that from bones alone, he can bring back a whole life being, which means that when I go out after this and eat my chicken rice, from the bones of the chicken on my plate, he can bring back a whole life chicken, chicken rice round two. <laughs> but that's not gonna happen. Why? Because that's not the ministry of Jesus. So in this season, as we are going more into the Holy Spirit, if we want to live and operate in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then we must first understand the ministry of the blood of Jesus. The first thing that the blood of Jesus does for me is atonement. In this passage, you see sin offering and guilt offering. Guilt offering is atonement for unintentional sins. Sin offering was atonement for intentional sins. So together, they make up all the sins of a man. The Hebrew word for atonement is kafar, and kafar means to cover over. It doesn't remove the sin, it just covers over the sin. So imagine that God is up here, and He sees me with my sins. And so I do blood sacrifice of animal, covers my sin. But tomorrow, I sin again, another blood sacrifice, I sin again, another blood sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, in the life of a man, there will be many, many blood sacrifices. Atonement is an Old Testament concept. In the New Testament, if you go to literal translation, only one time is the ministry of Jesus referred to as atonement. Every other time is referred to as cleansing or washing. So the picture changes. Imagine that I'm here with my sin, but now I'm under a waterfall, a waterfall of the blood of Jesus that keeps washing my sins again and again and again. I don't need multiple sacrifice, only one sacrifice was needed. That's why after Jesus, there is no more blood sacrifice. And the work of Jesus over my life is so thorough, not only did he wash the filth away from me, he washed even my conscience, the spirit of my conscience, so that I am as white as snow. One time, I spilled some curry on my bench top. So I wiped away the curry, but there was the stain of the curry still on the bench top. I used water, I used soap, and it wouldn't go. My wife, who is much cleverer than me, she came with uh, some bleach-like detergent and she wiped it and it was gone. Magic. As Christians, sometimes we are aware that the blood has forgiven my sins. My sins are forgiven. But there remains still a stain of guilt on our heart. Not always. Sometimes the remembrance of something I have done wrong in the past comes back. The kind of sins that nobody else knows comes into my life and I feel guilty once again. Hebrews 10.2 says these precious words, for the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. Christ came that we would have not only the forgiveness of sin, but even within ourselves, we would have no more consciousness of sin. It's essential for a man to have no consciousness of sin before God so that we can have our full identity in Him. If the stain of sin remains on me, then I know that I'm forgiven, but I struggle to see myself as anointed. I know that I am saved, but it's hard for me to see myself as victorious. I know that I have died with Christ on the cross, but it's hard for me to see myself resurrected as His Son, as a royal priesthood unto Him. So for the sake of identity, Christ didn't come to just forgive our sins, but to wash away even the stain of sin on our conscience. The second thing that the blood does for me is acceptance. In this passage, you will see another kind of offering called the burnt offering. 
The burnt offering is also a type of atonement, but it's slightly different from the sin and guilt offering. I'll share with you three things about the burnt offering to help you appreciate how we apply it in our lives today. The first thing about a burnt offering is that it's a, always a perfect sacrifice. It has to be a lamb without blemish. It's a perfect specimen. And the second thing is that the offering is a complete sacrifice. Where the sin offering and the guilt offering, only a portion is sacrificed to God and the priest gets to keep the rest for his livelihood, a burnt offering is a complete um, sacrifice unto the Lord. So a complete perfect sacrifice is a typology of the ministry of Jesus. The third thing about a burnt offering is that the burnt offering often comes in conjunction with another offering. In this case, we see that the burnt offering is sacrificed together with the grain offering. It is the burnt offering that makes the grain offering acceptable to God. A grain offering is essentially a tithe. Once a year after the harvest, the farmer would take a portion of the harvest and offer it to God as a grain offering, as a form of thanksgiving for the blessings that God has given him. It's a tithe. But where the Jews understood tithing better than you and me is that they understood that tithing itself is not acceptable to God unless it comes under the ministry of blood. If you and me, so many times we give $10 into the offering bag and we think that because I have put $10 in the offering bag, God must accept my $10. Is that so? Is my $10 so big to God? Even if I put a million dollars, does it mean that God must accept my million dollars? Even if I give God my life, I come to God and I say, God, this is your lucky day. You get my life. And God and all the angels in heaven are scratching their heads and thinking, what do we do with this sinner's life? It's sinful, you know, it's full of self-ambition. There's not much we can do with it. Even our lives, the best of me, is only acceptable when it comes under the blood of Jesus. Which means that today, if I put $10 in the offering bag, but I'm grateful to God for Jesus and what he has done for me, that $10 is more pleasing and acceptable to God than somebody who puts a million dollars and thinks that he has done God a favor and God now owes him a blessing. Now, if we understand that the best of me is only acceptable under the blood, then I will also have the consciousness that the worst of me can be acceptable under the blood because it's all about the blood, it's not about me. Sometimes, when I'm very fervent and I'm very on fire for God, I feel close to God. Some days, when I'm backslided and I haven't really spent time with God for months, I feel like I'm far from God. I don't have to climb all the way back here. I just have to be aware of the blood of Jesus over my life and immediately I'm as in close fellowship with God as I ever was. In the Christian life, there is no good days or bad days with our relationship with God. There are only days that we are aware of the blood of Jesus and days that I'm not aware of the blood of Jesus. The third thing that the blood does for me is sanctification. Imagine if I have an addiction. I'm addicted to drugs, to pornography, Today I sin, God washes my sin. Tomorrow I sin again, He washes my sin. Another day I sin and He still washes my sin. I am troubled in my soul. This is not victory at all because He has washed the sins of my actions, but my person, I'm still in the clutches of sin and sin still holds on to me and will not let go. For victory to be victory, 
Christ must not only wash away the sins of my action, Christ must also wash away the sin over me so that I no longer have to sin. That is sanctification. There is the ministry of sanctification in the blood, and we see this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The ministry of sanctification by blood is not very clear in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, the way to be sanctified was by obeying the law. Your whole life, you have to obey every letter of the law. Even when you are two years old and pooping in your nappies, you have to obey the law. It's impossible, and no one has ever done that. There is a veiled truth of the blood for sanctification in Leviticus 17, verse 11, where it says that the life of a creature is in the blood. This word life is the Hebrew word nafesh, and it often means soul. In fact, it's more often translated to soul. 475 times it's translated as soul, and only 117 times it's translated as life. So think of it as the soul is in the blood. Now, we know that a man is tripartite. We have spirit, soul, and body. Now, consider this. When Jesus died on the cross, with his last breath, he gave his spirit back to the Father. Spirit went to heaven. His body died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. So, body in the tomb, spirit in heaven, where did his soul go? His soul was in the blood that was shed for you and me. Now, don't get too literal here, okay? If you cut yourself and you, you know, one drop of blood drop on the floor, you don't go, ay yeah, my soul fell on the floor. No? If you need a blood transfusion, you say, ay yeah, his soul came into me. No, no, no. It's not a literal translation. This is all in the context of ministry, blood sacrifice ministry for atonement, which means that in the blood of Jesus, there is not only the cleansing of my conscience, which is my spirit, there is also the cleansing of sin from my soul, my emotions, and my thinking. Perhaps I'm an angry person, always angry. Everyone I see, I'm angry. You look at me, I'm angry at you. You don't look at me, I feel rejected, and I'm also angry with you. All the time, so angry. One day I hear about the blood of Jesus and have a consciousness that the blood is over me. I'm aware of the blood again and again. I keep thinking how wonderful. I don't just understand it in my head. I rejoice in my heart over how the blood of Jesus has washed my sins. And as I'm more and more conscious of the blood, somehow I, be, I lost my consciousness of sin and the anger just kind of faded away. I wasn't even aware, but I'm so aware of Christ. And after the blood has washed away my sin, all that is left is still the blood of Christ. I'm aware of Christ. And one day as I walk around, I say, whoa, I love that guy over there. I don't even know him. He's a stranger, but I feel so much love and so much compassion for him. How can it be? It's not my love of him. It's Christ's love for him that I'm experiencing through my life. This is Galatians 2.20 when it says, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. One time there was a mother who came to watch many and she said, Pastor, pray for me. I get angry with my kids. Pray for me to be patient to my children. And watch many said to her, I will not pray for you to be patient to your children. I will pray for Christ to be patient to your children through you. The glory of sanctification is not that I have overcome sin, but that Christ lives in me. The fourth aspect that I want to talk about is the anointing, but just before that, 
I want to quickly mention another core aspect of the blood of Jesus. I don't have time to go into this and it's not in our text, but for completeness sake, I just wanna quickly mention this. The blood of Jesus has the power to protect us. We see this when the Israelites were in Egypt and they applied the blood over the doorway and that night the plague that brought death to all the firstborn in Egypt could not touch them because the blood repelled the evil. There is the power of the blood of Jesus in our life to repel evil. All those of you who are anxious, always worried, something bad might happen to me, who knows what is gonna happen, this might happen, oh, I'm so worried. Be aware instead that the blood of Jesus will protect you and it will repel evil from your life. But just as the blood of Jesus can repel evil from our life, the blood of Jesus, which is my point four, can also attract the anointing of the Holy Spirit over my life. We see here that the oil is applied directly over the blood. The Holy Spirit came so that you and I would experience the fullness of the blood of Jesus in our life. Without the Holy Spirit, we can understand all this about sanctification, but it's all up here, intellectual knowledge. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes that I can finally experience the truth. He came to fulfill the fullness of the blood of Jesus in your life and my life. In the Gospels, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove and it remained on him. The same Holy Spirit remains on Jesus. He doesn't come upon you and me because we are such wonderful sinners. No, he comes upon us because of the blood of Jesus on our lives. If a man refuses to accept the blood of Jesus, that man will never experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He only comes upon the blood of Jesus. Why the earlobe and the big thumb and big toe? Different commentaries say different things. This is my understanding. Earlobe represents servanthood. In Deuteronomy 15, there is an account where if a servant has served for six years, on the seventh year, the master must set him free. But if he decides to go back and continue serving the master for the rest of his life out of love, he loves the master, the master will put his earlobe on the doorway, the, put an all and poke a big hole in his yellow, and that will be a mark of servanthood for life. It's a mark of a service of love. There was a king called Adoni Bezek in Judges chapter one. Before he was subdued, he was an evil king. He conquered 70 other kings, and for all the kings that he conquered, he would chop off their thumb and the right big toe. The reason why he chopped off the thumbs and the big toe is to cripple them. In those days, they would wage war by swinging a sword and running around after each other. If you don't have a thumb, you can't swing a sword around, and if you don't have a toe, big toe, you can't go running around. So essentially, he was crippling them so that they could never hold a rebellion against him. But thank God that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come to cripple us, he comes to empower us to do the ministry of Christ. If we want the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then when we come to God, we must never say, God, I have prayed for so many days, give me the Holy Spirit. We must never say, God, you know, I have so much ministry and I have so much people who are dependent on me. I have responsibilities and people under me. For the sake of my responsibilities and the people under me, give me the Holy Spirit. 
No, that will never happen. If we want the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we come before Him with only one consciousness, which is I am unworthy, but the blood of Jesus is upon me. The awareness of the blood of Jesus. The fifth application and the last application of the blood that I want to share with you is about healing. It's interesting that we only have one Bible, but there are many different views on healing. This morning, I want to humbly, very humbly, bring to you, propose to you, share with you my personal conviction on healing based on Scripture and why I believe in complete healing. This passage that we're talking about is the ministry of the blood of Jesus. We're talking about guilt offering, sin offering, burnt offering, blood sacrifice for atonement. But I want to show you the context of this passage. And it's found in verse 7 of Leviticus 14, where it says, seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. This passage, which is about blood sacrifice for atonement, is not for the cleansing of sin. It is for the cleansing of a physical disease. There is a ministry of physical healing under the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 4 and 5 says these beautiful words. Surely he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Think of that. It's beautiful. In these words alone is enough life and truth for all healing. Sometimes people interpret the wounds as spiritual wounds, not physical wounds, maybe it's spiritual wounds. Sometimes people think that maybe the timing of the healing is not now, it's in the future. When I go to heaven, I'm given a new body. At that point in time, with that new body, my wounds are healed. But come with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, and I want to show you the context of this passage. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet Isaiah. He talked about infirmities and bore our diseases. And there you go. Isaiah 53 is not just spiritual healing or wounds. It is about physical healing. He healed all the sick. It's not the healing that happens in the future. I'm sure we will have that. But it's healing that happens in this lifetime. And Isaiah 53 or Matthew 8 says, he healed all the sick. Not some of the sick, all the sick. This is where my conviction comes from for complete healing. It's because the Bible says he healed all the sick. Psalms 103, verse 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquities, all my sins, and heals all my diseases. If we believe in the Bible and we believe that the blood washed away all our sins, then we must also believe that the blood forgave all our, all our diseases. One of the common biggest stumbling blocks to believe in complete healing is found in the ministry of Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle was a great man of God, possibly the greatest who ever lived. And in his time, God used him to heal many, many people. 
But throughout his life, there were two people that Paul the Apostle was not able to heal. He was not able to heal Timothy and he was not able to heal himself. And so people look at that and think that maybe because it was God's will for Paul to be sick, so therefore maybe some sickness is God's will for me to live with the rest of my life. I want to, I want to share this with you. This is the, from the bottom of my heart. Please hear this. The Bible tells us Fix your eyes or fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Whenever we look at Jesus, our faith will grow and will become perfect. But once we take our eyes off Jesus and we put it on man, even a man as good as Paul, our faith will falter. In this case of healing, let me share with you why. When you look at the ministry of Jesus in the Bible, he healed everyone that came to him. There was not one person, one sickness that he could not heal. He healed everybody that came to him. Not only was he able to heal everyone, he was willing to heal everyone. There was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She came up and she said, I'm not gonna ask Jesus for him. I'm just gonna touch the corner of his rope and almost as if steal the healing for him without even him knowing. And she did that and she was healed. And when Jesus turned around and realized what she had done, he didn't scold her. He simply said, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. He was happy to give her the healing. There is nowhere in any teaching that says you can do that to Jesus. That's probably very impolite. But yet she did that in the most unorthodox manner, but he was willing to give her the healing. There was a centurion whose servant was sick and he came to Jesus and Jesus said, I will go, let's go to your house. Jesus was offering to lay hands and pray for the sick servant the scriptural way, by the laying of hands and praying for the sick. But the centurion said, don't need, don't need to come, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Completely unorthodox. There is nowhere in the Bible or teaching that says you can do that. But yet he did that and Jesus was pleased with him and the servant was healed. When you read scripture again and again, not only are you struck, you, you are struck first that all these preconceptions I have about healing are all wiped away. The only two things that remain in me and grow in me is the conviction that Jesus can heal and Jesus wants to heal. And so my faith grows and my faith is perfected because my eye is on the ministry of Jesus. But since Jesus, man, there has been no perfect man and there has been no perfect ministry. Paul the Apostle, as great as he was, he was not able to heal himself or Timothy. Smith Wigglesworth was not able to heal his own daughter. Catherine Coleman, in some of the rallies, even though many people were healed, she cried because she saw some who were not healed. Even the modality of healing, when you hear of healing testimonies, sometimes people are healed instantaneously, sometimes the healing happens over weeks. The tumor just gets smaller and smaller over weeks. Sometimes the same person has to come to the service two or three times to be prayed for before they are healed. Nobody had a perfect ministry except Jesus. But today and every day of your life from here on, if you come asking for healing, you must have the firm awareness, the consciousness that I'm not coming under the ministry of the man, the preacher or the minister. I'm not coming under the ministry of Paul the Apostle or Smith Wigglesworth. I'm coming under the ministry of Jesus. I'm calling to the name of Jesus. I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe in the power of Jesus. I believe in the ministry of Jesus. There is healing in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah.
even though I firmly believe in healing, for many years I didn't dare to talk about healing with other Christians or the church. There was a fear in me that if I talk about healing with another Christian brother and he was not healed, he would be disappointed, but maybe he would feel guilty as though he didn't have enough faith. That's why he wasn't healed. And because I didn't want people to feel bad, I didn't talk to them about healing. And one day God said to me, your thinking is very strange. And he says, if I bring a brother to you and the brother says to you, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure that I'm saved. In my soul, there is a, there's a weight of sin. I feel guilty about a particular sin, and so I'm not sure if I'm saved. What would you and I do? What would my response be to him? Would I say to him, no faith, lah. that's why I like that. No? Go and suffer in your guilt until Jesus comes back. I would not say that to him. Of course, I wouldn't. Right? I would go with him, I would pray with him, we would look in scripture to find the truth and together we would strive for him to be free of sin because that is the truth that I truly believe in. In the same way, if a brother comes for healing and he's not healed, would I ever say to him, no faith lah, go and be sick until Jesus comes back again. Of course I would not say that, I would never say that. I would go to him, we would pray together, we would look at scripture to boost our faith, look at the ministry of Jesus, and then we would strive together for complete healing because that is the truth that I believe in. The victory of Christ does not begin in our lives on the day that we die. The victory of Christ began in my life 2,000 years ago. On the day that he was resurrected, all victory was his, and so all victory is mine, and all victory is everyone who will call upon the name of Jesus. In my family, there is a history of gout. On my father's side, all men get gout at some point. And so a few years ago, even though um, I don't drink alcohol, I developed gout, and recurrently. And last year, there was a case of gout that was so bad. I was taking multiple medications for gout, I was even taking high-dose steroids for weeks, but my feet just my foot just kept getting worse and worse. It got to the point my foot was so swollen, I couldn't put on my shoes, I couldn't walk from the car park to my office, and at night I couldn't sleep. And every night I would pray to God, every day and night I would pray to God and ask Him for healing, and also to break the curse of gout over my family because I don't want my sons to have gout. And I believe that when He went on that tree, He took the curse with Him. And for weeks I prayed, and I did not get healing. And one day, one night, God spoke to me. And he said, if you have an issue with your spirit, you got guilt in your conscience, which is a spirit thing, you would trust me to wash away that guilt. If you have an issue in your soul, you're struggling with a temptation, you would trust me to wash away that temptation. So if you have an issue with your body, why don't you trust me to heal it? And I prayed to God. I knew what God was saying. He wasn't asking me to pray more because I've been praying a lot. He was asking me, all this time you have been praying because you are hoping that I will heal you. But I want you to pray as though you believe I will heal you. And I said, Lord, my life is in your hands. 
my body is in your hands, do as you will. But to the day that I die, I believe that it is your will to heal me. And my foot felt better, went to sleep, next morning, no more gout. I have not had gout in my foot since that day. Sometimes, the toe that used to have gout will start aching, and the enemy will come to me and he say, you're gonna get gout. You're gonna lose your victory, you're gonna lose your testimony. I just ignore him. I wanna end by talking about consciousness. Hebrews 10 2 tells us, you know, for the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. In our lives, we can have the consciousness of sin that will hinder our relationship with Christ. Or we can have the consciousness of truth that will set us free in Christ. I once met a young lady who had attempted to take her own life more than 50 times. We met with some believers. We started reading the Bible for a few weeks. At some point, she, became, she received the consciousness. She became conscious that God loved her. And from the moment that she became conscious that God loved her, she never attempted to kill herself again. Over the next few weeks, as she grew in the consciousness that God loved her, the anxiety and the depression that had been there for years just fell away. And by the time we parted, she was as whole as anyone could be. The fact that God loved her had always been there. It had never changed. But it was the moment that she became conscious of the truth that the truth set her free. The fullness of the blood of Jesus over your life and my life has always been there. It has never changed. But the moment that we become conscious of it is the moment that we are set free. All eyes closed and all heads bowed. If you are here this morning and you have never received Jesus as your Savior, the burden of sin is still great upon you. You have never known what it's like to be free of sin, to know that your sins are forgiven and you are right before God, as right as you ever could be. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, would you raise your hand and I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone? Church, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. I receive your blood over my life. And I believe that your blood has washed away all my sins. I'm right before you and I call you my Savior today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we sing, we want to do ministry today. If you are here, but in your heart, sometimes the stain of sin still comes and you feel guilty about things you have done in the past, come and we want to pray that the stain of sin will be washed from your life completely. If you are here and you are struggling, you're struggling with 
temptation or the hold of sin over your life, then come because victory, victory today is the setting free of the soul. If you're here today and there's an issue of low self-esteem, you know, if you like, nobody likes you, like you have to try really hard for people to like you. You have to be like super friendly. You have to be super helpful. Sometimes you even feel like you have to use your body to attract people for them to like you. If that's you, then come. Because today, I want to pray that you will receive the consciousness that you are as beautiful and whole as you could ever be by the blood of Jesus. If you are here this morning and you want the Holy Spirit throughout this journey, for weeks you have been praying, God, I know I'm missing something. Give me the Holy Spirit. Then come, this morning, come. You stand on the awareness of only the blood of Jesus over your life and you ask for the Holy Spirit one more time. If you are here this morning and you are sick, then come, come and believe, believe in the blood of Jesus for your healing. Jesus loves you so much. If you could believe that a super godly man could put his hands on you and you would be healed, consider that the hands that took the nails for you on the cross, the same hands that lovingly and carefully created you, the same hands who has been protecting you and holding you all the days of your life, how would those hands not bring healing to you? His hand over your life is more real than any hand touching you. So come, come with the awareness of the love and the blood of Jesus and ask for healing. So as we sing, if you need ministry, we invite you to come.